Welcome to episode 268 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. A few months ago, I attended my first in-person business event since the pandemic began. It was a 10-person mastermind in New York City that met six hours a day for three days. There was a kickoff dinner the night before it started. I organized networking dinners the other two nights. I was invited to drinks before one of those dinners and went out for coffee after the other dinner. I also walked and walked and walked around the city. On Sunday, a car came to take me home to the Philly suburbs. I crawled into that back seat and promptly fell asleep. I was exhausted. I'm an outgoing extrovert who usually thrives on a schedule like this. I mean, if I'm going to make an effort to leave my home, I want to take advantage of all the opportunities to meet and reconnect with awesome people. But wow, I am out of practice. And if I'm feeling out of practice, I wonder how people with less networking savvy are feeling. I mean, I spent over a decade prior to the pandemic teaching people how to network at conferences through my signature talk, Art of the Schmooze. I've been hosting On the Schmooze, a podcast about networking and leadership since 2016. I published a book, Croissants versus Bagels, Strategic, Effective, and Inclusive Networking at Conferences in 2017. In 2019, I did a TEDx talk, Hate Networking, Stop Bageling, and Be the Croissant. I'm finally able to put this experience into practice again, as some of my virtual event clients have asked me to support the first in-person annual conferences they've held in over two years. I'm meeting with speakers to help them design their breakout sessions with an eye toward the full participant experience throughout the event. There are so many micro adjustments that can make a real difference in how easily participants, especially first timers, comfortably navigate the event. Then there are the big efforts to create networking opportunities. For one client, I'm their connections concierge and I'm organizing activities during breaks and meals at the connections lounge. A job made entirely for me, I have to say. Here challenge this week. Are you hosting an in-person event this year? We should chat. Your participants are feeling out of practice and maybe angsty about networking at conferences. And meeting people is still a top driver for why they're leaving the comfort of their home. I can help your speakers design engaging breakout sessions that create opportunities for participants to meet each other before, during, and after, so they are less likely to go back into the chaotic hallway alone. I keynote, lead breakout sessions, run first-timer orientations, host solo receptions for people traveling alone, and basically do everything I can to help you meet the promise of your event, content and connection. Email me to schedule a chat. My email is Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com. Are you attending your first in-person event in a long time? I recently updated a resource I haven't shared in ages. It's now called Tips for Conference Connections. You can download it at RobbieSamuels.com forward slash tips. When I started, there were only 10, but there's way more than that now. And I mentioned several other resources above that would also be a great way to brush up on your in-person networking skills before your next event. 
Here are those resources again with links. If you go to croissantsvsbagels.com, you can download the bonus content for my first book before being sent to Amazon to buy it. And if you buy the paperback, you'll receive the audiobook too. RobbieSamuels.com forward slash TEDx. Watch this nine and a half minute talk to learn how to physically navigate events to increase your chances of having great conversations. OnTheSchmooze.com, I've interviewed over 250 talent professionals over the last five and a half years, and they've each shared how they built and sustained their professional network. I hope these resources help you make the most of your next in-person event. Let me know how it goes. And before we dive into this week's interview, I just want to note that sometimes it just makes sense to host a virtual event. And as a virtual event design consultant and executive Zoom producer, I can help you host a virtual event with less stress and greater participant engagement. Email me to schedule a chat if you need help with strategy, producing, hosting, facilitating, training speakers, and generally having a fun event. My email again is Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com. And if you want to become more confident and competent with virtual presentations and hosting virtual events, you can sign up for my online facilitation training. That's a two-hour video plus 33 Zoom tutorial videos. You can get them all at RobbieSamuels.com forward slash rock, R-O-C-K. And if you use promo code Zoom, you can get 33% off. Now, onto this week's interview. Today's guest's life purpose is to be a catalyst for inspired action. She's a relationship marketing coach helping micropreneurs find their micro-influencer magic so they attract the right clients for the products and services. Her entrepreneurial journey began in 1998 when she and her husband, Shane, pioneered online custom furniture sales. They quickly grew into a nationwide operation, working with world-renowned interior design companies Fortune 500 executives, plus music and film celebrities. In 2012, she was introduced to a network marketing company that offered a relationship marketing service her custom furniture business needed. She joined the company as an independent referral partner and is now one of their top 100 affiliates. She's also the host of The Gratitude Geek, a relationship marketing podcast that celebrates the benefits of living a grateful life. For her, this includes being a metastatic breast cancer thriver since being diagnosed in 2014. As she says, stage four is just a small piece of my story, not the end of it. Please join me in welcoming Candice Rodarte. Thank you. It's so much. I'm excited to be here. I look forward to having a great conversation with you because it's always fun to talk to you. I agree, Candice. Thanks for joining us from Muskegon, Michigan. Um, let's just dive right in. As you know, this is a show about building strong networks and the context is leadership. How do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? So I've been thinking about this question all weekend because I knew you were going to ask me. And two stories come to mind. The first one is um, about the CEO of a company that I used to work for. His name was Marty Kaysen. And he took over as CEO after I'd been there for a few years uh, one of the first things that he did was he threw a Christmas party, which we had never had a Christmas party at that company before. And we were all just sitting around at a table eating barbecue outdoors. It was lunchtime. And uh, so it wasn't really a Christmas party. But I guess it was a Christmas barbecue. So we're eating, that, we, we're eating under his tent. And he comes over to our table 
And he sits down next to me and he just asked me, well, what do you do? Who are you? What do you do? And I, the first thing that came out of my mouth is I make you a lot of money. Uh, and from there, we pour with each other. Um, like, you know, I, I always felt like I could walk into his door and uh, have a conversation with him anytime I wanted. And, you know, I was just, a, I was a inside sales rep for the company. And I had my eye on this position at the Canadian division of the company. Um, it was uh, the, the, the customer service manager position was open. I was 25 years old and I wanted that job in Canada. So I called him. Actually, I don't think I called him. I think I walked into his office and I said, Marty, I'd really like to be considered for the customer service manager of the Canadian office. And he goes, that's a great idea. Let me make some phone calls. And the next day he came down to my cubicle and he told me that he'd made some phone calls and the position had already been filled. That to me was the first true example of what a real leader is like. He's somebody, not just he, she, he or she, someone who's approachable. They are approachable. They go out of their way to help you and they lead from the back and they encourage you when you want to break out of the position that you're in and move on to something better. Um, so that was the first the first story that came to mind when when I was thinking about this whole leadership thing. And the second story was about a mechanic named Hans. Hans, uh, I had a Volkswagen Rabbit convertible when I was 20 years old, 19, 20 years old. And I moved, I had moved to the San Francisco Bay Area, but I couldn't find a mechanic in the San Francisco Bay Area that I trusted. So I would drive home, the 90-minute drive home to Castroville, California. And I would have Hans work on my car for me, my little Volkswagen, because I trusted him. So uh, as I got older, you know, when we first met, I was just this kid, right? And uh, as I got older, we would have more in-depth conversations. He was in his 70s. He was a very kind man, oh, amazing mechanic, had everybody, everybody who knew him, loved him. Um, and we're just sitting around my car one day having a conversation. And he tells me about the time that he was a Nazi soldier. And he's telling me about being a Nazi soldier. And then he looks down at the ground at his feet and he says, I loved that son of a fill in the blank. And he was just so embarrassed about how he had been enamored and infatuated with this demagogue. Um, and all these years later, it still deflated him. And so that's two examples of what would be you know, called leader leadership, right? One is somebody who leads from behind and encourages and helps and is always there for you and, and you know, wants to lift you up. And the other one is someone who, in, who uh, encourages you to do unspeakably horrible things and you do it because you're enamored with him. Uh, so those are, or her. So those are two, I mean, two different kinds of leadership, but one of them isn't a leader. One of them is a demagogue. Uh, and it's just that story just really irritates me. So, okay, third story. Then one of my favorite network marketing coaches posts a blog post about, uh, are you, so would you follow yourself? Would you follow yourself? Which is more about social media than it is about leadership, but it's about leadership. And the thing is, people follow people because of some enamored feeling, but leaders lead because they have a genuine um, heart and they want to push and lift people they want to push and lift people up. And so um, I've just, I've been torn about that question. And I hope those three stories sort of <laughs> give their listeners powerful. something to think about. <laughs> very powerful. I love storytelling. It's such a great way to illustrate points. And that first example of the boss who was new and, you know, organized a social gathering so he could informally get to know people 
that that he built that rapport with you so quickly and you felt comfortable approaching him, even though his, he had this big title um, and that he took your request so seriously and followed up in such a personal way. I mean, that's probably more what we think about when we think about um, signs of a really good leader. And then, yes, you know, we, we have examples of demagogues even here in the U.S. now and, you know, people following and, and falling, false worshiping almost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that 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 the uh, manipulation piece of of, I guess, what does a good leader look like um, could be used you know, to, to encourage people to, to be more of themselves or to work harder towards their own goals, or it can be used in a, in a more hurtful way. Um, I'm curious as you've thought about your own, your own sense of that journey, like when did you start to think, yeah, I've got some of these skills. I mean, I think you as a person who's built a really strong following and people are, you know, are interested in hearing what you have to say about a topic when did you think that this started to happen, that you started being aware of some of these leadership qualities? So I'm 11. No, I'm in, I'm in seventh grade and I'm taking a home ec and we're in these, uh, these little groups, these pods of four people and the four of us do our recipes every day together. And we, you know, we're like the cooking team. Right. And one of the kids on the team is named Keith. And Keith lived next door to the home ec teacher, whose name I don't remember because she was that inconsequential in my life. I don't remember her name, but he lived next door to her. And he told me one day that she had told him that I was bossy. And my response to that was to, to, rather than to feel bad about it, to just own it. And so I became bossy and I, and I embraced it. And I mean, I, I guess you could say when I was 13, I decided to embrace the being a boss. Yeah, it's funny how the same qualities. If Kev, if Kevin had ha- had them, uh, she would have seen him as a leader, right? Exactly. Yeah, you know, exactly. it's, it's the gender the gender piece of this is definitely one that I think gets overlooked a lot. Little girls are often described as bossy when they have an opinion, um, <laughs> but you know, I think we also don't want our children to be raised to be, you know, just kind of, uh, you know, spineless (laughs) Um, and follow just followers purely with no no thoughts of their own. So um, I, you know, were you also the kid then on the playground that like organized kids into groups and, you know, what activities were going to happen? Were you that kind of kid? God, no, no, I've never been a joiner. (laughs) I've always liked to be around people, but on the playground, I was not a joiner. I didn't play. I, you know, I had my small group of, of friends that we did the things that we did together. Um, but I, I never organized then. However, when I got to high school, that's when I started to be um, elected to pre- be the president of a club. Or, you know, by the time I was a junior, I was directing the school plays. So wow. what what happened? Why do you think that that shift happened? Because I was so bossy. <laughs> you know? People want to listen to the boss, right? <laughs> It was just, I don't know. I've just always been, it's always been really easy for me to wrangle people together. I, uh, about five years ago, I decided that the town that I lived in needed to have a Star Wars festival and that a great day to have a Star Star Wars festival would be the weekend right after May the 4th, you know, Mm -hmm. because May the 4th be with you. And so this is like January or February. And I thought we need to have a Star Wars festival in May. Right. And I just, you know, started to recruit people to help me. And when May, you know, the fourth came along, we had this huge Star Wars festival in our town. Thousands of people came and all these stormtroopers are walking around. There's a Chewbacca car. I just, I have the ability 
to figure out what people are good at and say, hey, can you help me with this? Because you're really good at that. Let's get this done. And so we pulled off a huge Star Wars festival in just a few months because it was a good idea. I love that. I resemble that remark as well. Um, I once, um, I said yes to working on a, uh, an unconference where all the topics are chosen day of. And um, I was helping other people with it. And then a couple of years later, I realized we should do that again. But the people who originally organized it weren't interested. So I put out a call for volunteers and set a date for like two weeks later would be our first meeting. And so two weeks of finding volunteers. And then 10 weeks from that first meeting was the date that I set for when we were going to have the event. We didn't have a location. <laughs> we didn't have a budget. <laughs> and we pulled it off, right? Like we were just like, we're going we're gonna to all show up together and just make this happen. I think that's, a, that's not a quality that a lot of people have. And I think when people are able to do that and gather people, you know, good things get created. Um, I definitely can see how that continues to play out in your life. So did you go to college after high school? Was that part of the plan? Kind of, not really. Um, but my, my college story is kind of just kind of depressing, but I want to go back to your, your, your sure. thing that you organized. Oh, yeah. So you put the call to action out, you know, let's do this. But the yeah. thing when you do things like that is that you can't just say, hey, I need, I need volunteers. You have to actually pinpoint from the volunteers what they're good at. Right. So if you need someone to find your, your location, you find someone who, who's really well, well connected and possibly even church connected and just say, hey, Robbie, I know you're really connected with the, you know, the, the church scene. Can you find us a church that will host us? Or, you know, the, the wedding planner. I know you're a wedding planner. Do you think that you can find a wedding venue who would, who would host us? And then you give them assignments. You just can't ask for volunteers. You have to ask the volunteer. You have to volunteer people what they need to help you with. Hey, you, you know, you, you work at Starbucks. Can you get some free coffee for us? <laughs> you, you, you know, you, you just, you have to, you can't just say, Hey, can I, can I get some help here? You have to say, Hmm, Robbie, you're really good at, at you're really good at teaching people how to, how to network. Well, do you think that you could put on a, like a webinar before two weeks before the event and you can help the organizers uh, make the event better by teaching us the, the right things to do to make everyone feel included? I think what was interesting about that particular time, I did it one other time as well, is that I didn't know the people who came to the volunteer. So we, we had to sort that all out in the first couple of meetings. But yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, give people the opportunity to, to step up, and then they often do. Um, where did you think you were going to be as you grew up then? What was your earliest plans? Because I think the things you're doing today are um, not things people I, knew existed. <laughs> no. So uh, in high school, I thought I would go on to college, become an actor, maybe go on uh, and get a law degree and go into politics. That's, mm. If you were to ask me then what I thought I was going to, what's going to happen, that was probably the path that I would have taken if things had worked out. They didn't work out the way that I thought they were going to work out. Um, but that's another completely different story for another time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, uh, I, you know, when I was about 21, I moved to the Bay Area. I got a job working at a dry dock, which was really interesting. Uh, and that uh, taught me how to do accounts payable, accounts receivable. And so I just was that in that little field for a while. And then I, I got the job at the big sporting goods company manufacturer that I mentioned earlier and uh, became an inside sales rep and discovered that I was really good at sales. And then I, I became a buyer for a chain of sporting goods stores. And then I met my husband and he was a custom furniture maker. Um, and um, he was just making furniture then for cargo stores. He had designed an armoire on a bed for cargo furniture. I don't know if you if you know if I've ever heard of them, but they were pretty big back in the 90s. 
Um, so he actually designed the, the armoire that they sold and the bed that they sold and several other pieces. He designed them and he built them. Um, and then cargo got built out by Pier One or bought out by Pier One. And, and um, at that point, he and I had married and we had to figure out something. So I took everything that I knew from being a buyer and being in, in outside sales or inside sales and um, said, we can turn your furniture skills into something special. So we started selling his furniture on the internet to retail stores across the country. And by 2004, we had 40 stores in 25 states selling his furniture. And I, if you had, if you had asked me when I was 17, if I was going to, you know, pioneer online custom furniture sales, I would have said, what? Right. Right. Of course. Like those things didn't, didn't exist. Um, Exactly. Yeah. No, the, the internet, as we uh, knew it, even back then was so rudimentary. This is so interesting. Um, You and I also share sort of the, the political leanings. I never wanted to be a politician, but um, a lot of I, one of my uh, degrees is in political science. The other was sociology, and I have a, a master's in social work. But I think a lot of people thought I was going to go into politics. But um, I like being the outside agitator more, I suppose. Um, you, uh, you're you're a person who understands the need to take your skills, your adjacent expertise, and figure out what's transferable to the next thing. Um, I think a lot of people leave those skills behind and feel like they're starting over each sort of part of their journey. But it sounds like you learned a little bit of something along the way from each of these different roles you had and then realized you had the opportunity to support your husband and do something that must have felt like, I mean, it was brand new in so many different ways. Um, Did you know any entrepreneurs, I guess, is my question, (laughs) when you were deciding to do this in in, um, the late 90s? No, I didn't. It wasn't my, my father had worked for the government. My mother, you know, had been a house, a homemaker for most of my life. Um, It just wasn't, my grandmother was an artist. So I guess you could say she was entrepreneurial, but it just wasn't something that was in my wheelhouse. It wasn't something that I thought that uh, was attainable for me. But as I've done genealogy research, I've discovered that my great grandmother actually owned a, 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 she owned a shop, a store. Um, you know, back in the 18 somethings that, you know, she owned it, she owned a shop and another grandmother, a grandmother owned a bar. And then my mom's mother owned a a drapery shop. So as I'm digging back in the, in my history, you know, my ancestry, yeah. Entrepreneurialism was there. It just skipped a couple generations. Oh yeah. That's so interesting. That sort of, uh, it's, it's in your bloodline, but not something that you were surrounded by growing up or anything like that. Exactly. Why did you then think you could do this? I mean, how are you able to be so confident that you could uh, pull this off uh, enough? So at least to to, to prove to Shane that it was worth trying. You know, I'm not the kind of person that takes no for an answer. And I think that's part of being bossy. And I, that's, that is one of the things that people want me to coach them on. How do I be more like, you know, how do I be more aggressive or assertive like you are? And I, I, that's not something you can learn. It's something that you, well, I guess you can learn it. Like you can learn anything if you repeat it 10,000 times, but um, I just don't want, I don't want to hear no. And I, and we had to figure out how to get, we had to figure out how to make money because when we launched our business, we were pregnant. (laughs) So we had to figure out how to make money. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Just, you know, it just, it just, and it, because it, we were so brand new, it was, it just worked. There wasn't any competition. 
over the years, there was competition and they all copied us. But uh, when, when we first started out, there wasn't any competition. We were it. We were how you bought country, yeah. you know, country furniture, hand, you know, painted country furniture on the Internet. That was us. You know, and, then, and then more and more people and even Target sells, sold it in the, you know, in the early 2000s. But um, yeah. What were some of the challenges to getting that up and running then? Like, is it I mean, it's, it's, I imagine there were many. Well, first you have to learn how to build a website. So mm-hmm. I had to learn how to build a website. <laughs> and then he had to learn, I had to learn about Google wasn't even around when nope. we launched our website. It was AOL. Um, and we thought about putting our, our website on America Online. And I'm like, no, I don't think that's a good idea because it's so narrow. And I'm glad we didn't do we didn't go that way. We need to put it actually on the World Wide Web, you know, the the, the internet. Um, and people can find it that way because you can get to the internet from AOL. Uh, AOL, if you don't know what AOL is, it was like the Facebook of the of the of the late '90s, early 2000s. <laughs> I remember being so confused. I'm 47, so I just remember being very confused when I first put my AOL disk in and and first dialed up onto onto the internet. Um, I didn't. It's it, it was like not super clear to me that AOL was not the internet, you know, because. Yeah they advertised it as if it was, and they had all these different resources that were sort of built on that platform, like you're saying, but, um, and then you finally make your way onto the internet, which was hard to navigate back then. Um, how did you find people or how did people find you? I, sh- I guess is, how, yeah, how did people find you when no one was looking online for custom furniture? Those early adopters, they were, they were there. They were just wow. there. Um, but then we did advertise in a magazine that for, you know, we, we advertised in a magazine specifically for our niche. So, uh, and it was, you know, pretty low cost advertising. And we did some, um, later we did some Google, um, you know, pay-per-click stuff. Um, but we didn't have to for very long because search engine optimization worked back then. It doesn't work as well as it did back then. But we really, I mean, we owned the keywords for our market. If yeah. you were looking for a painted pencil post bed, you found our website first. I mean, we, we, cause we, I, I spent a lot of time breastfeeding my child and coding my website. <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd hold her and I'd code. You know? so, Amazing. Uh, cause I, this, cause it, and just making sure that the search engines, you know, which were Yahoo and I mean, Google came later, making sure that Yahoo and, and whatever the other search engines back then were, found us. Um, and then I also joined a couple of Yahoo groups for moms. Yahoo groups are like Facebook groups back in the day, but you know, these, these mom groups and um, we did some co-marketing things together. We, I belonged to a group called the mom pack and we would send each other our brochures and then we'd include the brochures in each other's um, mailings that we did. So I got brochures from 20 people and they would go into the boxes that we mailed out um, or, you know, I'd put a couple of flyers in my own mail outs that I would do. Very um, cool. Yeah. So collaboration, love- but back then, back then there was a, a lot of mailing. We did catalogs, we did mailing, you know, snail mail too. Yeah. So it, they went hand in hand. And this is such a fascinating um, thing to talk about this transitionary period, um, particularly because you had a physical um, object that you were, you were selling. So people of course needed to figure out how to, how do you buy that online? It's like when I learned people buy shoes online, I was very confused by that idea. Um, so I, I don't is- think I can. 
unless I know for sure. Like Birkenstocks, I know I wear a 39 wide and I'm yeah. pre- it's pretty much across the board. I could buy a pair of Birkenstocks, but right. I don't think I could buy any other shoe online like that. <laughs> but people make entire like, sites about this, right? I mean, they make the process of returning easier, but, but for you to have to learn how to code, for you to have to figure out how to do all this marketing and all the marketing you're describing is also very relationship-based marketing, Right. It's all the things you're now really well known for. But at the time, it was just sort of out of necessity. And I imagine those early adopter organizations and companies were willing to help each other out um, because you're all kind of in it. Oh, yeah. One of the one of the places where we got our ideas for new products was from the store owners. They would say, hey, you know, can you make something like this? And, and we'd say, sure, but we, you know, let's do this, this and this to make it easier to ship, you know, um, and it's just collaboration it, collaboration is still so important you can't you can't just be out there by yourself doing doing everything by yourself you've got to have people who help you and collaboration is great i mean this this podcast is a collaboration mm-hmm. i'm here you know supporting you and you're you're supporting me and it's a collaboration we're helping each other so when you uh have this opportunity to to go into this um this relationship with the this marketing company this network marketing company was affiliate was doing affiliate marketing something that you were already aware of, or is this like the first opportunity for you to do something like that? Oh, this is hilarious. So I was so, so curious as to how old my website, it's momgeek.com. I was curious how old my website is. It's going to turn 21 in April. Wow. Uh, and so I went to the Wayback Machine to see what my website looked like in 2020. What year is this? In 2000, right? In the year 2000, 21 years ago. And the very first Wayback Machine screenshot of it is there's affiliate marketing links on it. There's like, and so I've been affiliate marketing since 2000. Wow. And I didn't even remember, but there are these affiliate links there. Um, Yeah. So yeah, it's something that I just thought, always thought was cool. I didn't realize it had been that long though. Yeah. It just sort of made sense to you that if if you like something, you're going to share it and vice versa. Um, I mean, exactly. even a lot of that taking each other's brochures and shipping them out together, that's that's a version of affiliate marketing, right? exactly. like helping each other get the word out in a very manual sense. Things got easier over time. Well, you, I think of you as a person who is great at follow-up. I mean, you're, you were great at staying top of mind in my life by by how you've so continuously showed up. How how are you marketing that? Is, that? is that a thing people then come to you and ask you for support around or... Is it a particular subset of people that you seem to attract around that? Around the relationship marketing tool? Yeah. Okay. So it's greeting cards and gifts. And there's just a certain, there's just not everybody's into sending greeting cards. So it's, I'm, even though they know that they need to, um, which was where I was in 90, what, what, what you, 2007 or 2008 when I was introduced to this. No, it was 2012, 2012 when I was introduced to this tool. We had made, um, We'd made a beautiful tiger maple bed for Tate Taylor, who's an actor director. Um, he he directed the help. He wrote and directed the help and get on up. And he's done some really amazing work. Um, and he sent us a handwritten thank you card on his, you know, his custom letterhead and all, you know, this little handwritten note. And I was like, gosh, I know I'm supposed to send thank you cards. My grandmother taught me to send thank you cards. My mother taught me to send thank you cards, but I, my handwriting is just awful. And I had, I was already in a place where I was 
feeling the need to send these thank you cards um, and not wanting to do it because I didn't want anybody to have to try to read my handwriting. And so when I was introduced to this tool, which you can create your thank you card on, back then it was on the internet. Now you can do it on a phone app. Um, you know, I could send my thank you cards and they wouldn't have my ugly handwriting on them. They would have handwriting. It just didn't have to be my ugly handwriting. Um, I just thought this is a genius idea. Everybody needs to do this. Uh, so I decided to not just use it for the furniture business, but, you know, see if I can make a go of it as a business. And, you know, I just, I, I joined a networking group and I started sharing it with people and they started sharing it with people and they started sharing it with people. And, you know, now I'm considered an authority in relationship marketing. So it just, it just, you know, you just talk about, you talk about things you love and you teach people how to do the things that they know that you know that they need to do and that they know that they need to do. And the people who get it, do it. And the people who don't, don't, um, but you don't, you don't get emotional about the outcome. You just, you share what you need to share. And if people get it, they get it. If they don't, they don't. But go ahead and say the name of the company. Cause you've, you've done every, share us uh, everything about it, except what it is called. It's called send out cards. And I've been the recipient of many a send out card from you. And one of the things that I, I wonder if this has evolved for you as you started using this tool, um, you grab uh, screenshots of things that I've shared online. Oh yeah, I, I love to do that. And then put that as the cover. And um, when I was moving, I found, I had a whole bunch of them sort of in a folder. Um, and I'm like, oh, I should pull these all out and put them on my wall. Cause like, it, it's so rare to print anything these days. <laughs> Um, so to have like these little, little moments that have been captured in, in, on paper, um, it's, it's really neat. You know, I think when you get the first one, you're like, oh, that's nice. But then when I look back at sort of the arc of them, I'm like, oh, that's, that's pretty cool. And that's why you're still top of mind, right? Like we haven't had a reason to really stay in touch, but here we are still in touch. And to me, that is the power of relationship marketing that you're talking about. Um, but how, how has your strategy for using this kind of card service evolved over time? It's evolved because the company has evolved. I used to just send, you know, thank you cards and holiday cards and nice to meet you cards and birthday cards. Um, but the company has evolved and the abilities of the, of the service have evolved. Um, I have a plan. I'm on a plan where I can send a hundred cards a month um, on a campaign, like a drip campaign uh, included in the price of my, of my, subscription. And so I make it a point to make sure that a hundred cards go out every month. And those can be birthday cards. They can be some sort of um, something to my top 100 or my top 100 list only has 70 people on it, but I have, you know, do you know what a top 100 list is? Yeah. I'd love to hear you describe how you decide who goes on your top 100. So your top 100 list are your, your um, important customers, important network um, colleagues, and people that you would like to do business with in the future. And you make a list of 100 and you stay in touch with them constantly. Some people do a top 20. Some people do a top 500. Some people call it farming. Like in real estate, they call this farming and they pick a neighborhood and that neighborhood gets, gets you know, tangible touches from them monthly or every two months. Um, so I have a list of 70 people and um, I make sure that they receive something from me at least once or twice, you know, once every, one, every month or every other month. And um, then everybody that I have an address and a birthday for gets a birthday card from me. Um, and what's really cool is I create the birthday card in January or late December. So I need to do it now. And then I set it up so that all those birthday cards go out. 
And literally this morning, I got a, you know, so all the birthday cards go out seven days before their birthday. And I took care of that in December of last year. And so this morning I got a text message. It said, thank you for the birthday card. I have no idea who the text message is from. I have no idea, you know, who they are, but (laughs) you know, and I sent the card last December and it's December again. So um, it's just a way it's like, tripping on people, loving on them. The fact that I don't know who that person is and that I sent them the card 12 months ago doesn't take away from the fact that I made them feel really special today because they got a birthday card from me. That doesn't take anything away from that. And then there's the people that you take the extra effort to make more personalized things. So you have have these different sort of levels of um, campaigns and such that, that you're doing. Some are a little more automated, some require a lot more hand yeah. So like if, if you, if I saw that you had moved or you did something huge or you spoke on stage somewhere and, and, you know, I thought, Oh, wow, that's really cool. I'll just take a screenshot of your, of your Facebook post or your Instagram post. And I'll put that on the cover of a card and just say, congratulations. You should be proud. Send it off because mm-hmm. you should be. And, you know, on, if you put something out on Facebook, it goes away within 24 hours and you may see it 10 years from now in your memories, but it just goes away. But if you have a tangible evidence of it, you can put it on your wall and you can say, oh yeah, that's right. I did that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, when you put it on social media, you sometimes forget. So interesting. I've been thinking about setting up a, um, like a, a more systematic way of doing birthdays ne- cards next year. Um, I use a different service for it. I use something called postable.com and I've wandered into Postable because they had a um, free address book that someone I knew was using. And I thought, well, that's really neat. And so for a bunch of months, I was just using the address book. And then finally I was like, oh, look, they have greeting cards. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Oh, I guess like that's kind of nice. And I'm like you, I love the idea. I have like, I have good intentions around sending cards, but I don't love my handwriting. Um, it would take a lot of extra thought. Like I, I, th- I think easier like typing out my stuff because then I can always delete and rewrite it than if I had to like, I have to like figure it all out ahead of time. If I'm going to write it painstakingly um, with a pen. Um, and then just, I don't know, there was always these things would trip me up around like, I, can, I don't know where the stamps are. I run out of stamps or I didn't have the right kind of card. And then I got to get it to the post office. Like so there was just all these things are sort of in the way. So I love the idea that we can find these tools online that really do simplify the process. But here I am thinking about this and I, I'm going to ask you this question because I think other people might be at this point. I could automate through this system or the one you're describing a, you know, here's a simplistic uh, message for everyone's birthday and, and everyone just gets this. But I'm wondering if instead I'm going to, you know, take some time like on the 20th of each month, looking ahead of the following month to like set up more personal touch messages to each of these people. And you know, like you, it's not a huge scale. I'm not trying to do this with hundreds and hundreds of people, but I could, and then I thought if I did this, I would then also go through all my Facebook connections each month to see who's not in this list. Cause like, I don't have mailing addresses for everybody, which is part of the, like part of what's slowing me down and doing this. Dude, um, I got, I got a solution for you. I don't know yeah. if you want to talk about it now or off, yeah, off no, air. I want to hear what I want to hear. Your um, idea. But send out cards offers a VA service. And the VA will actually contact your, so, your social media contacts, ask them for their birthday and their address, put them in your send out cards account, set up your birthday card account and send them for you. Well, so for me, if I, if I wanted to invite everybody, I could just send them my postable link, but I don't want to invite everybody onto my thing. Because <laughs> I, I made this mistake once before with a CRM. I, I was really into this one CRM and I basically connected to my inbox for my email 
And oh. everybody I ever emailed like got in there and basically just junks everything up. Yeah, so I want true. this to feel like I want there to be some sort of threshold. <laughs> um, well, what they what you do is you, they do a print off of your upcoming birthdays because you can go into Facebook and you can see who has a birthday coming up. So they'll go. I actually got an email this or a Facebook message this morning from someone. Um, so they, you can go in and see who has a birthday coming up in January. And then the VA will send you the list. And you can check mark next to the people that you want them to follow up with. You know, I was trying to figure this out because there's no simple way of downloading your upcoming birthdays. You can see it all on a, on a screen and like, and like go through one by one. You have to like hover over each person's name and like to see who they are. Cause all you see is a little pictures. And I looked it up and they, they may have one time had this way of doing this, but I guess, I don't know. Facebook's constantly changing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I have a VA. We we might we might build something like that in our own thing. But I just think like using these touch points as a reason to connect with people is such a good idea. And I love that you're talking about if they moved, they got a job, they spoke somewhere. I think too often people hesitate to do that kind of outreach or follow up or something. I don't, and I don't know why. I mean, what are some of the reasons people tell you that they wouldn't do what you're doing? They don't have time. That's the number one. The number one is they don't have time. Well, if you have time to play a game on your phone, you have time to send a card. <laughs> um, but that, that's the number one. Some people just don't see the the point. They don't like the. They don't want to spend the money. You know, it's a, to send it to send the birthdays on my birthday card campaign. It's a dollar forty seven a card plus a stamp, so two bucks a card, right? Um, that's to me. That seems like a good return on investment. For uh, let's just. Let's just talk about the furniture business for a minute, right? So the average price of one of my husband's beds is about $5,000. Um, and I follow up with his clients three times a year. A thank you card goes out when the order goes out and then maybe two times a year. And then I send a holiday card and then, and then another holiday card. So, you know, like a Christmas card or a New Year's card and then like a St. Patrick's card or, or something like that. So they, they, they hear from us twice a year. I don't do any email marketing to that list. Nothing. I just send cards. We, he makes furniture for Fortune 500 executives and movie stars. And the number of repeat clients that we get, they buy a new house, they want completely new furniture. He makes all the furniture for the brand new house, right? Is phenomenal. And that is the only marketing that I do for his business. Wow. So one, you know, I, I spend four bucks a year on a client that could turn into five, 10, 15, $20,000 in income. The return on investment is remarkable because uh, yeah. it's so, and even though they're not those personal cards where I do the screenshot, it's just, you know, a campaign, a holiday card campaign. They know that we're thinking of them mm-hmm. and we're not trying to puke all over them. We don't sell anything in these cards. We just say, we appreciate you. Have a great holiday. Love it. I love it. I think it's great. I, I mean, I think um, anytime you could give a more personal touch and not do what everyone else is doing, which is just commenting on the wall, you know, or, or on, the, on the comment section of wherever the post is done. Um, it gets you, gets your interaction more noticed and, that, and then it hopefully can move from just being a transaction to a relationship over time. And they start to be really appreciate that you're, you're thinking of them. When did you- Before, um, before we move off of the greeting yeah. cards, I, I want to go back to my birthday card campaign. Yeah. So my birthday card for 2021, uh, on the very front, and it's black and in blue letters, it says a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And then there's a mail merge field. So the person's first name is there. Robbie was born. And then you open the card up and it says, dear Robbie, 
have an out of this world, amazingly spectacular birthday, the force is strong with you, Candace. And then you open it up and it's a three panel card. And on all three panels is a stormtrooper saying happy birthday. This is personal. It has their name on it twice and they feel really special when they open it. And it's personal to me because it's nerdy. Um, so even though it's a stock card that everybody receives the exact same card for me all year long, and if you're a married couple, both of you are going to get the same card, it's still personal because it has your name on it, right? which is, you know, so a lot of people are going to think, oh, I don't want to do that because it's, you know, I don't want to feel like I'm selling to people. Did that card sound like it sold to you? No, not it at all. It celebrated you. Not only that, but my wife is really big into Star Wars. So, um, it was, a, it was a really kind of funny thing to receive. <laughs> well, I'm glad she enjoyed it. Obviously, your wife is on my birthday card list. <laughs> yes. Yes. And she's like, oh, your friend Candace sent me a card again. I'm like, did you open it? She's like, yeah, it was Star Wars theme. Does she know me? <laughs> you know, it's so funny. Um, no, I think it's, it's, it's very clever. I'm actually curious what other things you're doing to kind of nurture your network. I, you know, we have sort of that innermost circle of people that we know we're going to stay in touch with. But then you have sort of that second and third sort of tier, someone that you maybe met uh, annually at a conference, someone you worked with five years ago. I'm, I'm sort of curious at what point you start to pay attention to who, who you're going to like uh, put on this, this card list, for instance, or like um, other kinds of forms of outreach you might do to stay uh, in touch and sustain these connections. You know, I've got to tell you that the greeting cards and then social media messaging, more like market, like messenger like Facebook messaging, Instagram messenger and email, but not so much email. And then text messaging are the way that I keep in touch with people. Um, email is like my least favorite of, of, of the list because there's, you get so much junk. Email has been, re- you know, your email inbox has been replaced by the junk mail that you used to get in your regular mailbox. Right. I don't know about you, but I get less and less junk mail in my mailbox outside. Like there are days I get nothing in my mailbox outside, but the junk mail in my email, holy crap. So I'm not really, I don't really like email. Um, so I, you know, I just try to keep in touch, you know, if we, if we befriended ourselves on LinkedIn and I see that they did something cool, I'll celebrate them. I'll send them a little message, you know, congratulations, or I'll just post on their post or, um, and it, it doesn't take much to keep in touch with somebody, a, a, a gentleman that I worked with 30 years ago now writes for national geographic Man- magazine. And we we've been Facebook friends for as long as Facebook has been along around and, you know, we're LinkedIn connections and Instagram connections. And uh, he just, he just finished um, traveling with the, the white house Christmas tree, the, the tree that they put in the, in, in right outside the tree, you know, the, the national tree, he traveled with it from Washington to Washington, DC uh, and wrote about it along the way. And um, it just, you know, just, I would like his post. And then I sent him a message and said, you know, this is so great. I would love to interview on my podcast. And he said, sure. You know, so, <laughs> so you don't have to connect with people all the time. You just have to stay connected somehow. Um, and as long as you're a decent human being, they're going to want to be connected with you. That's the thing. You got to be a decent human being. Don't be a jerk. Yeah. Don't be a jerk. It sounds a lot like your, your pieces about paying attention and then taking action. So some people would read about that story, let's say, about him going from Washington to Washington, D.C., and they might have been reading a few of those posts, but not really interacting with them. And they wouldn't think to reach out to him at the end of that storyline to like say, oh, wow, that was really cool. I'd love to talk more about it. Or like they would just sort of hesitate to do more than just be a casual observer. And 
you're saying as soon as you see the opportunity to to comment to to cheer someone on to congratulate someone you're going to do that exactly and if you've ever spent enough if here's the thing if i've ever had taken the time out of my day to have coffee with somebody or to have lunch with somebody at any point in my life then that means that at that little point in my life they meant something to me so they're always going to be um they're always going to be on the list of people that need to, that I need to stay in touch with. And James and I used to go get Thai food whenever we would see each other in um, Vegas or Salt Lake city or wherever we were for um, business travel with the job that I had before my husband, I traveled a lot Um, and he, he would travel too. And if we saw each other, we'd say, Hey, let's go get Thai food because back then Thai food wasn't the kind of thing that everybody loved. Everybody loves Thai food now, but you know, we were, we were strange. So we would always grab Thai food together. And so why not continue the friendship that we had 30 years later? Because, you know, we were friends. We were, we liked each other enough back then, you know, to, to want to share a meal together whenever we saw each other. So why not continue that friendship, even though we haven't seen each other in 30 years? That's really cool. That's a great example, too, that some people would think, oh, that's some so, so long ago. I couldn't possibly reach out. But you're like, we used to spend enough, you know, we used to want to spend time together. Why wouldn't we want to reconnect? Exactly. Um, yeah. I don't know. I think it's just, I think it's a mindset thing, but when you're wired to do this, it just seems so easy. Um, and, and particularly as you create tools or you, you access tools that make it even easier, like what you've discovered with send out cards just makes this process a little more seamless, a little more intuitively easy to follow through with your best intentions. Thoughts for you. I have a final question here. Um, if you know, and I know we will stay connected because we have been for years, but it's, let's say it's a year from now. And I suddenly realized, wow, it's, it's a year ago that I had you on my show. What are, you know, what has your year been like? What should we be toasting right now? I want to know, like, what is this, what is going to be worth celebrating a year from now? What are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? I have a big fat hairy objective for 2022. I want to monetize my YouTube channel. I'm not anywhere near monetization. In order to monetize a YouTube channel, you have to have a thousand subscribers and 4,000 hours viewed. And I'm not close. I'm not close. I used to have it monetized a long time ago, but I, but that was before they changed their rules. Um, I'm not close, but I'm. it's my goal for 2022 is to monetize YouTube. Wow. So we'll be celebrating that. Well, make sure that we have your LinkedIn, I mean, your LinkedIn, your YouTube channel, so we can put that in the show notes as well get more people following you there because that's a great that's a great way to get a lot of people involved um that's pretty fantastic that you what is and what is the focus of your youtube channel so i have uh several channels or playlists the first one is replays from my weekly trainings that i do i do weekly uh, marketing trainings on thursdays at noon or thursday at 11 so the replays from those replays from my monthly lunch and learns are all marketing related um and then I have a playlist about my breast cancer story because, um, and the breast cancer videos are the ones that have the most views. I've got, you know, 20, 30,000 views on some of these videos, um, but they're eight years old. So it's 30,000 views over eight years. Um, so there's a channel for that. And there's a channel for my YouTube talk show that I used to have. So those videos are still out there. And then all my podcasts are also on YouTube. Um, so they're all there. And any, if you want to learn how to be a relationship marketer, or how to survive breast cancer with a smile on your face. My channel, my YouTube channel is a good place to go. That's very cool. Well, I can't wait to celebrate all of this with you. It's such a cool, audacious goal um, and one that we can all kind of rally around. So how can people find you and follow your work? 
the easiest way to find me is to search for Candice Rodardi Gratitude Geek or just Gratitude Geek. My website is actually momgeek.com. And from momgeek.com, you can find everything. Links to everything are from there. Very cool. I also I also own gratitudegeek.com, but momgeek.com is the website that's about to turn 21. So, so it's mm. where everything lives. Fantastic. We will put all these links in the show notes so people can find you on LinkedIn and Twitter on Mom Geek on Gratitude Geek. And hey, while we're putting down links, if you want to subscribe to my YouTube channel, it's yeah. momgeek.com forward slash YouTube. Momgeek.com forward slash YouTube. That'll take you straight to, we to subscribe to YouTube as well. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. All right, folks, you've heard it here. This is something we all can rally around. I hope we help you do this. We can be celebrating this next year, Candice. Thank you so much for joining the conversation. I really, really appreciate it. My pleasure. It's always fun to see you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Candice. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 268. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. And don't forget to subscribe for free yourself so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's on the schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.